0: This podcast is supported by ARC, Antenatal Results and Choices. ARC is the only UK nationwide charity offering non-directive individualised information and support to parents who are making decisions around antenatal screening and diagnostic testing. They also provide specialised bereavement care for those who experience termination for medical reasons. For more information or support, please call ARC on 0207 713 7486.
1: Hello and welcome to Time to Talk TFMR, Termination for Medical Reasons. I'm Hayley and today I'm joined by lots of people. We're talking about men's grief in TFMR and I've got a whole panel of guests with us today. I also have a guest co-host with me, Nick Embleton, Nick is a consultant neonatologist in Newcastle, and we met on another podcast that Nick was hosting, and we got chatting a little bit about men's grief in pregnancy loss. I'll let him introduce himself more in a second, but let me also introduce our TFMR dads. So welcome to Alex, Sam, Ethan, and John. And just for a little context for our listeners, um, they're all joining us from the UK and all have experienced a TFMR due to fetal anomaly. So thank you guys for being here with us today i really appreciate it so let's just go over to nick for a moment nick would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself what you do and whatnot
2: yep um yes so welcome everybody i'm nick ambleton i'm a neonatal consultant up in newcastle upon tyne so i've been a consultant for 20 years and i did all my training in medicine up here and my role, I guess my connection with TFMR is speaking with parents in antenatal settings, the antenatal clinics. So this would perhaps be couples or, or a woman who received a diagnosis of a fetal anomaly, either detected perhaps on the 20 week scan or maybe on a, on a blood test. Um, and this might be where parents want more information about the fetal anomaly. Um, so if they were to continue the pregnancy or if the baby was to survive the pregnancy, what might that mean for that baby? What might quality of life be like? What sorts of operations or discomfort or pain? So my my role is really just, I guess, explaining as a sort of pediatrician uh, what this might be for any surviving baby. So I wouldn't be involved in lots of decision making around tfmr because for a lot of couples they make a decision with the obstetric consultant and the midwives and there wouldn't be any need for me to be involved but perhaps where it's a complex anomaly or where people have a lot more uncertainty i might get involved at that stage so yeah that's that's how i got involved
1: yeah thanks nick um and our dad's joining us. I thought we'd just start with a kind of blanket question. And that is, you know, how did the news impact you when you found out something was wrong? And I thought, you know, Ethan, would you like to to maybe start with that?
3: Yeah. Um it was you know, it's hard to do this part without using cliches really, but it just sort of, you know, completely turned my world upside down. Um I, I've been with my wife now. Um we, we got together at uni, so it's been 10 years. And um, I know it sounds silly, but we're like, just two months into relationships, we're already talking about having kids one day, you know, because we both sort of grew up in really good family units and we've always just really wanted kids. Um, so to get that news was devastating, sort of the uncertainty and the grey diagnosis around it of not knowing whether we could, you know, do anything or well we did have to terminate and it was it was it was a really a really tough time it it completely changed me sort of personality wise just you know gone from just quite relaxed quite chilled out to just stressed all the time and 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 worried you know it's uh it was life-changing really when you get some big news like that
1: Mm. and can I ask what the diagnosis was
3: yeah of course um it was 27 weeks, Oscar was, and uh, my son. Uh, and we went for a private scan just because COVID was kind of, you know, everything was opening up. And we thought a nice treat for my in-laws was, you know, we'll all go see Oscar together um, at a private scan. And um all got a bit quiet in the room. And the, the person who was doing the scan saw um, some extra fluid on the brain. And that sort of started the process, you know, next day we were in hospital and essentially what, what we figured out was he, he had, um, quite a lot of strokes and, uh, brain damage whilst, whilst in the womb. Um, and then we found out that when my wife was, you know, in, in the womb herself, that's when she got a gene, like a, a faulty gene. And it was a, essentially a 50% chance to pass it on to our children. Um, and Obviously, we would have never known that because it's not genetic, as in uh, Lucy, my wife's parents, they don't have it, it's just you know, one of those mad random things that's just unfortunately <laughs> happened to Lucy. Um, <clears throat> and that just sort of you know, sent us down the path. We, uh, Oscar was born at 34 weeks, so we had you know, we had a long time, We we got in touch with. Experts in Norway because it was looking at like a you know like a cerebral palsy sort of diagnosis and we were trying to see if we could do early intervention and stuff and from you know the the MRI scans and and everything they essentially just said to us that he probably wouldn't have you know he wouldn't have known who we are like we because we went to some counselling and we we got to a point where you know we we knew it wasn't going to be the the perfect birth that we 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 imagined Mm. um and something that stuck with me was the counselor said like you know you're going to have to find a new love language with the child and whether that's you know you walk into the room and they they make a slightly different noise and you know that's that's really stuck with me so we were we were ready to give it a go until we got that essential you know Mm. almost confirmation that it probably wasn't you know, going to be a a good outcome in the end. Um, and then we had an extra week. Uh, we we made up our mind, but then we we just you know we spent one extra week. Just just we went. We we had a we had a bump to baby photo shoot for example. Um, mm. We went and had those pictures anyway because now we have them. You know we've got Lucy with Oscar as like a, a memento. We we went and fed ducks. You know silly things that just trying to make a few last little memories with him before we made the decision. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did, did you, did you come up with the, the name post or, or during?
3: Um. It was, it was um, during the pregnancy. We, uh, mm. I think we decided on it probably about 20 weeks. Um. So we were already calling Oscar by, by that point. Yeah.
1: Thanks Alex. And your question there around asking if, Ethan and Lucy name their baby Oscar pre or post birth. What's your experience with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, ours was quite different because the, the, the original question you, you you ask is when we found out something was wrong and for us, we found out something was wrong quite early on Nobody knew what it was, and it took a very, very long time and a lot of scans, and we still don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I suppose there would have been a point where we knew it was pretty bad or really bad, um, but a lot there was quite a gradual okay, there's something wrong. Um, this child has got club foot. There's, Probably genetic things going on, but we just can't work it out. Um, did some amnio tests, and then they all came back as being clear. And it was almost—I remember going out with a colleague and just going out for a beer and, and it was almost celebrating because we had had that positive news. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it—it—it it, it turned once we had an mri and then the the brain um was not developing uh, nearly as fast as it should have been and was way behind and i think then the prognosis was similar to ethan i think in the sense that it would have been likely a child that that would not recognize who who we are yeah. um and I, but i think a lot of the challenges we had particularly my wife was that we weren't really able or or the medical world was not able to give certainty
1: Mm.
0: so you're making then decisions not around something that is certain
1: yeah yeah nick you know i can see you nodding away over there
2: yeah i mean i I, I kind of um, well, obviously feel for all of you who've been through this and and one of our jobs obviously is, as doctors is to try and give information, but often we don't have that certainty. And one of the things that we, you know, we, we feel we have to be honest and describe possibilities, but often I can see how difficult it is for parents to know what they want to do when they haven't got the kind of black and whiteness that perhaps they would like. And. Um, I mean, I was just going to kind of go back to the issue about naming. I mean, I don't know, Sam or John, whether you have any thoughts yourself on Oscar being given a name, Sam?
4: Yeah, we, yeah, definitely naming your child. When I was reading books back with my other half, Sam, like we were naming your child as soon as possible was like a really good way to bond, especially as a dad. So we named ours Oxy straight off the bat, where was, we didn't know it was a boy or girl. So we had, the, I had a, joke name i've thrown around all my life with a bet of oxenheim of whatever my first child would be called it's a joke as a male or girl so that was always the name always going to be as a joke name and then same as everyone else so we went we had a, we had a private scanner 18 weeks because it was middle of the first lockdown and i wasn't able to attend for the 20-week scans before go to private scan and go meet baby and then um within like two minutes the energy of the whole room just sort of changed you know like you know something's not right uh and yeah like the sonographer just all went yeah you there's there's a cyst or something and it's on un- and basically like in the sentence just went there's a cyst unlikely baby's going to survive and i was like oh and it's just like you just go quiet wow. and then i was like yeah. yeah i should yeah i'm sorry, i don't want to be slanderous but it wasn't wasn't probably the best way of delivering the news no uh, <laughs> but like yeah it just, went, it just went super quiet and then you do the whole classic pleading what's going on yeah. what's going on all that sort of stuff which is just the sonographer can't really commit to anything and that was mm-hmm. late august in 2020 and then like two days later it took us two yeah two days to find out before we go back into the bri to get the next scan and that's when we found out um oxy had an encephalose seal encephalose. so the uh so like the um brain and head wasn't going to form correctly and that's when we it sort of got told it wasn't she wasn't going to survive beyond minutes outside, outside the mm-hmm. womb mm-hmm. Before after she was born. So it was sort of like the decision was done for us a little bit. Yeah. Because like the consultant was fantastic. sort all explained to us like beyond a certain point, the child starts to feel stuff. And so for us, we didn't want to put our child through that. So we sort of pretty quickly went to tmfr uh, for like that sort of reason. So mm-hmm. And then it was just the waiting game sort of thing, like two, three weeks waiting for it to happen and get all booked in. And then it's you're just in a lull for three weeks of just numbness. And I sort of spoke about it previously, it almost felt like the Truman Show a little bit, like it wasn't, how could it be happening to us? Like, is, is this some twisted joke, some game that's been playing on you? And of so still to the day, that still bombs through my head. But like, it's just... That little period of my life feels like it's not really me it was like a, a script also i watched on tv and i just put it into my own memory so when i look back on it now when preparing for the podcast i was just like reading stuff and going like, christ that was only three years back and it didn't feel like me
2: yeah. john i i, I kind of saw you nodding earlier there about kind of naming and stuff like that but what was it in your case
5: yeah so so our, our little girl we, we called her thea um ours is it sounds perhaps a little bit more recent than than some of your situations in some respect so ours was December of last year, and it's one of the things I, I probably struggle with most actually is actually the reason and the rationale behind it so ours ours was twice to be twenty one it was downs and yeah. and the thing that I find so hard with it is that we know that that is compatible with life you know it's not that that child would not have survived for. Know, potentially a significant number of years um our situation is we have got another daughter and we we found out quite late we'd been told at scans everything was fine it was at the about 18 weeks i think we had the the scan there were some concerns around the um the ventricle size and yeah and um, the lack of, there was a lack of nasal bone and short femur and, and so things started to Come from there, but everything was just so so borderline, and we'd been told after blood tests that everything was fine. We were, and at the point we were trying to work out whether you know it was worth going through through the risk of an amniocentesis, even because obviously that carries its own risk of miscarriage. And do we really want to? Because if we, if that was a completely, if I'm using the words fine, that's a horrible word to use, but you know, a completely fine, healthy baby, and then and then something you do to investigate triggers a miscarriage, I'd I'd, I'd, you mm. know, I'd never be able to forgive ourselves probably. Yeah. Um Anyway, we it became to the point we just thought we we knew we wanted to know, we needed to know. So we went and got the we did have an amnio, we got the diagnostic result then. was mm-hmm. twenty-one. And we had we had basically it felt like forty eight hours to make a decision, which was horrible because we were at twenty-one plus yeah. four. So it was twenty two weeks to the day that Thea was born. But I think beyond that, you know, there's only certain hospitals and certain there's different procedures and processes and and things which you know, we were obviously keen to avoid if we could. Um, but no, we we never knew. We, we'd always intentionally wanted to find out at birth whether we were having a boy or a girl. That was always part of our, our plan. And we'd got a list of names that we'd had discussed over, you know, right from the start, really, a list of names. And mm. uh, they kept dropping and changing. And, and we, we'd sort of settled on, on fear for a girl, I think probably about a week or so before really it all happened. and um, mm-hmm. so that was where we came to the naming thing. But it's it, it's definitely helped with us, um, naming. It it, it really helps with us from the point of view that we were we we did have a funeral, we you know we'd said our goodbyes, we had a playlist, we we've, we've talked openly well since Kate my partner since she was pregnant with Thea we talked openly with Ruby our other daughter about Thea and, and trying to make it part and parcel of you know she's a part of our family and we want to make that very clear and and Ruby's yeah. she she's two and a half so she'd have just turned two really when Thea was born and um it breaks your heart her talking about it, but she was, but she'd engaged with it. And we we talked about baby fear being a star in the sky and, and, you know, she was, she's just starting to talk and that's the thing she was saying. And I I found it gut wrenching on the one hand that she's just so ready to be a big sister, but at the same time it was, it was really quite heartwarming in some respects that she could show
2: some empathy with us and and was taking things on board. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I mean, I, I, I looked after lots of, families of babies on the neonatal unit who sadly died and and that sense of trying to make the baby part of your family in some way and have this connection with the other siblings has been so important. And I think you know as you say like you know all of you said like the naming bit seems such an important um, aspect of it all. Um, I I've never had to face TFMR personally, but I I my, my partner had a miscarriage at nine weeks. Uh, this was after I had three surviving children and we actually gave that little baby a name which called him or her Butterbean because it, it felt so difficult to talk about it without a, a name but that wasn't something that I I've ever shared with any of my male friends I mean I'm going to be interested because you know specifically here it's men talking whether any of you shared that naming with your male friends whether you've been able to kind of mention by name um alex i see you nodding
0: there we we yeah we have and i I realized i never gave you our name (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i I mentioned there was a period when we were a bit more positive about Mm -hmm. having and it was during that positive period that we we came up with a name Mm -hmm. uh, and it's called leo aster and i think very much like john was saying we we have a, a son um he was about to turn five and he's very much Leo is part of our family and um it was really heartbreaking possibly even the most emotional I felt about it was was telling our son mm-hmm. Freddie that we've come back from the hospital and we don't have Leo with us. Mm-hmm. Um but it has meant that Leo appears in in our life a lot, yeah. and Freddie is not concerned about bringing Leo up in conversation, and we're we quite happy with that. And I think then to that point, I I will talk about Leo with anyone, and um, I don't particularly mind. And and arguably, I feel it, it's it's quite important because this whole thing that we're talking about now, which is something I was completely oblivious to. You know, even even to the extent of your situation, Nick, around losing children in pregnancy, at any kind of stage, it just wasn't and it isn't something we talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, if we can raise the profile um, for all people to be, I guess, aware and conscious, and then this also, I guess, helps to how do they relate to people in society that do go through something like this and they feel more comfortable to be supportive because there are some and i've found this and i don't know if you guys have found this that some feel really comfortable being there to support you and then there are others who just don't know what to do and they run a mile <laughs> yeah. um you know and it's hard for them as well because they're potentially losing a, a you know a friend or a, a family member not not being able to really be able to
2: know what to do. Yeah. Ethan, I, I just saw you nodding there about that.
3: Here. Yeah. Well, I always say, um, I think if we hadn't have lost a baby, I'd, I don't think I'd know how to approach that conversation with someone. It's just, I mean, we're in a bit of a, a funny position in, in Huddersfield. There's a hospice called Forget Me Not, and they deal with a lot of, the, I think it's the only hospice with a midwife. Um, you know, when we, we found out that it was potential uh, termination, you know, she got in touch and she's helped us through the whole thing. So we, you know, we're regularly at groups with other dads and mums who've who've lost children and it feels quite natural to talk about it now because Oscar is a massive part of our lives and, and I, I completely agree. It's you know, some friends I've I've been really lucky. All my friends have, you know, Banded together and been really supportive, but I think as men sometimes they they do kind of lose a point in the conversation where they don't know what to say anymore, you know, and they're a bit worried. Like, does he want to keep talking about Oscar, or should we just move on to something else? So he's, you know, and I'm absolutely, you know, it, it fills me with pride to speak about Oscar all the time. Um, yeah. There's never a bad moment to sort of bring it up. Yeah, yeah,
5: I, I could probably jump in a bit there as well. And just I, I think because I. I everything you both said, it it rings true. So I think right from the very off, I sort of set out a stall almost with my mates and said, I want to talk about this. I really want to talk about this. Um, And I don't want them to feel uncomfortable bringing it up. I kind of almost set that as a thing because I was, I've I've seen other friends go through heartbreaking situations with pregnancy loss and and, and baby loss. And I know how how welcome they found the ability to talk to their friends about it. So I was really, I was kind of, I don't want to say an unfortunate situation; it's a horrible situation. But like the situation where I had seen other people go through it, and I knew what their experience was of people not broaching the subject with them. So I did try and like really set out a store that I want to talk about this situation with them. And 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 same as you saying, they've been I think off the back of that have been really receptive and and have really rallied round. And I, I don't know what other people have found in terms of the length of time that sort of lasts for. So I think there's you know the first two, three months. Couldn't know, move for people sort of like sending things or sending a message here or there, giving a phone call, stuff. like that I'm at the point where that seems to have not dried up because it's not, people still ask, but it, it it seems to have gone through a bit of a cycle and and you know, I and I get it for everybody else, life does move on and and things happen. But you know, some of you have it's it's happened far longer than it has for me. And I don't know what your experiences are from a, a longevity point of view. I'd be quite keen to know what you've how you found that
3: it's it's been it's been okay for us uh, it's been two almost two years now um since his birth and you know even even stuff we don't celebrate like uh, easter recently um parents and friends bought him an easter egg you know what i mean and sent us a card at like christmas including oscar's name on it um and why it's not talked about you know every single day by friends or family the fact that you know you've been open with your friends like i was i think they've took that and they they do remember to you know include them in cards or you know in like i we've uh, we had a a baby she's 9 months old now and you know they they don't see her as the first and that was like quite an important thing even though she is the first sort of living child we've brought home you know it's always like sometimes referred to as sister and things like that even though it has been almost two years it, it it does mean a lot that you know he's remembered as as part of the family still yeah yeah
1: sam what's your experience there
4: yeah i think the sort of talking to friends is like we we're really open about it which is really good but like it took me two months to really open up about it i just went into complete silo mode because more than anything like we i just didn't want to put that on my friends Sounds mm-hmm. really, sounds really daft. These are your best friends and all that sort of stuff. But it's like the amount of energy we had around because we were like, we had struggled beforehand. So this was going to be our first child. We talked about IVF and adoption before it. We were told we weren't going to get a baby. And then it was like, she came along. So the energy around Oxy was like <laughs> quite a lot of pressure on her before she even mm-hmm. came into the world because she was our first child and all that sort of stuff. So when we did lose her, it was like, no one really know what to say. Not, not in a negative way. Everyone knew what to say. Like, they were here for us and everyone was there. But, like, I almost didn't want to talk to anyone about it because it was like, well, I just kind of messed up here, really, because I have panicked about it. It was, like, genes. So I went down the rabbit hole of, like, it's my genes. I'm the one that's ruining our family. I'm the one that's all caused to happen. So I just sort of bunged up a little bit. So it took me a while to do it. And then we were very lucky to get pregnant pretty quick afterwards. So our second child, Ari, was born, well, exactly almost a year after so she's born okay. um so oxy was born on the 4th and I was born on the 3rd of september so like we had this weird thing where they're they now are intrinsically linked forever mm. because of you celebrate ira's birthday and then you celebrate oxy's the next day sort of thing so it's that they're in inseparably linked so it took until until ira was sort of like conceived and we started talking about it like then it's like i could start to open up a little bit more about it and since then like i have been talking to my friends but I think now after two, three years now, it's the only real people that sort of remember it will be people who have actually been through other losses themselves. So I know it's like some of our other friends who have had miscarriages because they've been through the same thing. They remember yeah. the situation we went through with Oxy and then they'll talk to us about it a bit more. It's not like it's not always going to come and pass a conversation, but at least it's on the 4th of September, we sort of talk about it as a thing and sort of just accept that Celebrated Aria's birthday day. We're now celebrating Oxy's today, sort of thing. And it really helps bring it in. And I think Ethan mentioned about the numbering situation. Like that bit was insanely hard to get over because it was like trying to explain when we were going to NCT and all the things with Aria. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is your first child. And it's like yeah. a weird five second pause where the people are looking at yeah. like, Why is it your first or you're not? And it's like, you don't want to in your first NCT session go, actually it's not really my first it's we had all this and sort of put your life history out there so you sort of just go like yeah it's our first and then mm-hmm. you me and miles sort of just spoke afterwards they're like yeah like to us and our family we'll talk about as our mm-hmm. being our second whereas in general population with people we don't really know that where we'll talk about it being our first sort of thing because you don't yeah. want to put that energy onto other people because it's like it's your grief and you don't want to share it a little bit whereas i've I there's a, that's a I think I've been brave enough to sort of talk about it as openly as I probably should have done, but then you feel well like, yeah
1: I think there's also something in that I mean yeah it's maybe there is this feeling of I don't want to put that on other people I think you can also think of it as in do they deserve to hear about this part of you because they're I mean by telling people this very very deep and personal you know, this is something yeah, I've thought about it as in I am am I ready to hand over a piece of my heart to this person? Because that is what I'd be doing by telling them this information, because I don't know what they're gonna do with it. So do they deserve that? So I think sometimes it's useful to think about it in those terms because we don't know who all these people are. And yes, you could have an amazing connection with them because you share this. Thing with them, or you could be wildly disappointed by their reaction. So I think it's wise to sort of protect ourselves a bit in this and get to know people first. I that's, think I tend to,
0: I tend to do it depending on how I feel. Yeah. Or, or yeah. you know, at the moment I've been asked that question, so you know, the obvious one: you just have one, or mm. do you just have one? And you know, the answer might sometimes be yes, mm. because in that particular circumstance it's not something that I can talk about but then and then another scenario okay maybe I don't know them that well but you know there's a good chance I'll see them a few more times and actually right now I feel strong enough to be able to do that and have that conversation yeah and I think it's also about then how do you approach it Um, as in how do you go about starting that conversation and that I haven't really worked that out yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Alex. And I I just was thinking about books of my husband. I was always very, it was sort of breathtaking in how he was quite willing and able to just say, oh, yes, no, we've got another or um, Luna died or actually this has happened. And it might be to very not um, who I would think are close people, you know. And I wonder if that's a difference between, you know, sort of male-female responding to this but it, you know it could also just be personality types or how you're feeling that day but I remember thinking gosh he's really brave at how he'll just say it <laughs> um whereas I was much more sort of oh I'm not sure I don't know that I can I can say this right now a bit more like you Sam I guess in that way like I don't know that I'm quite ready and then I don't know do do you guys have sort of a guilt response to how depending on what you've responded to, or how you've responded. Yes, John, I can see yeah. you nodding. I,
5: yeah, I, I, I do. I had it just this last weekend, actually, because exactly the same questions you had, Alex. So we were at a, it was a third birthday party, so it was just surrounded with kids and parents and all sorts. And it was, well, I, they were mates from uni. I've not seen them for 10, 15 years, some of them. And um, it was exactly that exact question. Just Have you just got the one child? you only you not tempted to have another one? It was those sorts of questions. And... Because of the setting, because it was just quite, it was quite intense. It was just the kids running right everywhere. All um, well, having fun and whatever. I, I, I just thought I didn't want to bring the mood down. So I just I just said, yeah, just the one for now. I'm sure we'd love to have a second at some point. You know, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And I felt awful. Like, on Saturday night, I felt terrible about it when I got back. I just thought, maybe I should have just said it. Because in other situations, like yesterday, which I guess is probably off the back of how I felt on Saturday night, I was on a zoom call with a client I mean I, I barely know this bloke and he asked me uh, you know how I was getting on how the family is and stuff and, and I just told him what happened and then off the back of that he came back and said he felt it, obviously he was incredibly sorry and and it turned out that he'd had you know three miscarriages himself and all this information mm-hmm. stopped coming back again it's like and that's what I've kept finding to be fair it's just the sheer amount of people that go through these horrible situations and you
2: just have no idea mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Why, why did you feel bad about it, John? Did you feel bad because you were being not being honest or because you were kind of somehow denying Thea's existence? Or what, what was it that made you feel bad?
5: It's a, it's a good question. I, I, both, I guess. I mean, I guess both. Mm. I, I mean, one of the things I probably struggle with the most is actually being able to articulate or understand why I'm feeling a certain way, actually. And that's something I've always had throughout my life, just generally. And... It's like with the whole grieving process that we had, there was that first, sorry, this is not an answer to the question you asked Nick, but um, the 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 first sort of month, I kind of, it was just like almost business as usual. It's like I had, you know, I had a role to play. I was, I was being a dad for a now because I was still having to, you know, they had many things of like cancel her nursery place and, and sort a funeral out and there were those jobs that I had to do and be there for for kate and allow her to be really upset and i was like in this sort of almost like in the trenches type mentality it was like yeah get on with it and stuff and then once we had the funeral it just went completely we we, we you know we had a bit of a break we got away for a few days and then when i got back i was just i just i was just angry i was i was like mm-hmm. this I, i'm normally a really patient sort of fairly level chap i like to think i am and and I was just, I had the shortest views. I mean, it comes on to, I guess what we're going to talk about a bit as well about relationships and things and how it's how it's affected. But my temper just went, and I, and I didn't understand why, and I didn't link anything about it. I just was being like that, and then after what, ten days or so, it was it was like that. But I yeah, you know, I, I don't quite understand why. I felt the way I did on Saturday night, and at the time, I didn't really link it. But ultimately, yeah, it's down to the fact that I just wasn't honest, and I wasn't probably didn't feel like I was doing the right thing by fear either. In I say denying denying her existence.
1: Yeah, Alex, I see you nodding there, and I just I think it's really interesting where you've gone there, John. About you know, as dads, what your role is when this happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, in in some ways. Go back to the very first question is you know is how do I, how have I kind of felt with this, mm. and then how does that differ to 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 Karen my wife um I feel like i I haven't I've gotten off a lot more lightly in terms of grief um now whether that's something that's still to come, who knows we've we're we're approaching the year anniversary. But I'm kind of quite a stoic kind of person. Just get my head down, keep going. Like John was saying, you got there are sort of fundamental things you got to do. I mean, I was very fortunate. Work were really supportive and gave me the time I I needed. Um, but then I suppose we did have Freddie in the background as well, and he needed us. And I guess you know, to some extent, it just felt like okay, this isn't affecting me quite as much, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, and, you know, that still seems to be the case. And I, I guess to some extent where I can see all the pain that Karen is going through, I, you know, I, I, I definitely wouldn't want to swap places and, and I'm kind of, you know, and, and I feel really bad for anyone who has to kind of feel that, and it's not that I'm you know, I'm clearly I am unhappy and it's not a good place to be, but I definitely see the difference. There's 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 a there's a lot of difference and there's there's a lot of guilt, I think, on Karen's side as well. I think particularly because it wasn't a a decision that was backed up by conclusive evidence as to what the outcome was going to be. So she's still not sure now. Yeah. Um, so it's still kind of affecting that. And that that sort of differs because I think I feel a lot more on the lines of I think it was overall the right thing mm. for, for us as a family that we made that decision. Um, so I, I think it's probably partly why it's been easier for me.
1: Yeah. I want to go b- over to Sam again. And I just wanted to check that with you. and I, And I also wanted to throw in there this element of the difference between you and your wife, girlfriend, partner, and how that may be impacting you two together. So, you know, John mentioned anger. And when you're maybe in two different places with this, so if Alex, you know, your wife, Karen, is grieving more and you're feeling more steady, for lack of a better word, how that's impacting things. Sam, did you want to...
4: Yeah, I felt the same as Alex and John really. Like that anger guilt thing is just that was the thrust of sort of that period after we found out Oxy wasn't gonna survive. Mm-hmm. So that as soon as we found out, I was just numb for like two days until we found out from the official consultant what was actually gonna happen. And then weirdly almost triggered it's gonna sound ruthless, but like I was already there because of yeah. the whole situation that like it's unlikely she's gonna survive. My brain just went right we've got to do the right thing by by sam and then but mouse was in a different place so like i saw me and mouse talked about it it goes i only knew oxy for 20 minutes whereas sam knew oxy for 20 weeks and there's a completely different situation between us so whereas i was like really not that i wanted to get on with it but it's like Oxy's not going to survive. So my brain was like, I need to do what's best for my daughter to sort of make sure she's in no pain and sort of almost jumped to that stage quite quick. Whereas Sam was more thinking about what have we done? How have we got this situation? Is it something that happened earlier in pregnancy? So I mentioned we had sort of we'd started the IVF. So weirdly enough, when we found out we were pregnant of Oxy, mouse had decided downregging for IVF. And so Oxy had sort of beat the downregging. So it was like we were this miracle child where she speak the down in like mouses when i have this baby and like we we're like rough, like this is going to be this is the thing we're going to be ivf don't need ivf and then this happens to oxy i'm gonna, like oh was it the down in drugs is it this is it this is it me is it my genes is it mouses genes is something's going to affect us later on and that's when my brain was worrying mm. where sam was just this is our baby girl we're like we're not we're not going to have it and so like that that 20 minutes we had with a after she was born, that's when all that, the realism of it sort of sunk in for me, of all like, I just went, I just imploded, sort of obviously tears, and all mm-hmm. that sort of grief came out then. Then that period, whereas mouse sort of been getting there steadily to that point for that to happen, and obviously she has the physical implications of having to go for the procedure, and then obviously the part afterwards, whereas mine was almost like a little spike and done, where she was just mm-hmm. steadily into that procedure and still steadily out the other side of it and it's taken years for us to properly talk about it in a way that we can actually talk about about both imploding mm. and alex made a really good point like how he felt afterwards i just sort of, i felt the same way sort of that that numbness it took me three weeks four weeks before i could even remotely function as a individual i couldn't go back to work because even the normality of going to work i just couldn't do anything couldn't probably mm. even wiggle my mouse and write any code because it was just like my brain wouldn't function it was just back to that bad place until I could get out of that bad place I couldn't function as an adult really and luckily I was very work really supportive but it took counseling to sort of get me anywhere close to being me again mm. and I don't think I'll ever be the me before Oxy it's like a, I'm a different person
2: yeah. I think Ethan you said that as well you felt like a different person after this
3: yeah, completely it's just you don't you don't really know what it's going to do to you. Um and I think I've um, so many similarities with all three. Um I think for me after the it was my wife was finding it harder, you know, first. Um and obviously I was, you know, deeply sad. I think it was that protection role for for me too and I think it's only a year and a bit later that it kind of started coming out for me properly. Um, it sort of coincided with my my granddad took a turn for the worse and was quite bad, and that sort of brought everything back. If that makes sense, you know. And I think because we got to that stage where my my wife Lucy was, obviously she's not just magically okay because it's going to sit with us forever. This grief, but she was at a point where she could cope better. I think I was finally letting myself just release, if if that makes sense. And and that change in me, you know, I noticed like like John said, very short fuse. Um I didn't like who I was becoming. Not I hadn't gone like mad off the rails or anything, but it was just those personality traits developing me that I, I just it was just not me, like, you know, a bit more selfish, a bit more I don't want to do that for that person I'd rather just do it for myself and it's just stuff that was completely against my nature that I, I noticed
2: do you, do you feel anxious about the future I and mean, you, you said you don't know how long this is going to go on for i mean are you, are you worried about the future and um, the grief
3: a, a little bit i think that the way i always describe it uh, with with my daughter iris now you know oscar was that you know, you have got a deep gash on your arm, and, and Iris is the the plaster. You know, it's it stopped the blood, but the gash is still there. You know, um, being able to throw ourselves into Iris has been such a such a help because she she relies on us. You know, and and everyone who's who had kids before the loss, I always struggle with that thinking. I couldn't even imagine where you'd be in in that situation because much as everybody's already said you know you're just in that numb sort of cloud for a while where you you don't know how to live your life you know and to imagine having a a child look after as well i I, I always sort of terrified me but it it has been okay with with iris because you know going back to what i said about the gene we had a procedure where we found out that you know she doesn't have the gene and she can't pass it on to her children she's not going to ever experienced the same things as oscar so that that was a relief um but yeah it, it does make me a little bit anxious for the future but i think having that responsibility now is is really helpful
1: yeah nick do you are you aware of what the support is out there for parents or and dads specifically you know I mean, a few of you guys have mentioned about counselling and various different things, but I'm just wondering, Nick, what your experience is around that when you work with parents?
2: Yeah, I suspect my experience is rather biased because it's with the parents and the fathers who choose to come back. I mean, what I notice is when we offer to see parents of babies who died from a neonatal point of view, and Mm -hmm. maybe only two and three parents would choose to come back, and quite often the mum will come back without the dad. Mm. turns out that dad had some unbreakable work appointment or something that meant he couldn't come. I mean, it, it's kind of I think obvious to everybody that men find this incredibly difficult. And I suspect men are very bad at actually reaching out and, and seeking support. And, you know, we're obviously a fairly select bunch here. I don't think we're representative at all of the men going through this. I mean, there must be lots of men who, who are really struggling but wouldn't know where to turn. I mean, I don't even know where I would turn, if I'm honest. If I, you know, the the, the support doesn't seem to be there because it's not, it's not a narrative. It's not something we really talk about, which is, you know, how do these things affect men? It's obvious how it affects the woman. But I think it's less obvious how it affects the partner. Mm. Sam, I, I, I'm going to see you nodding there. I mean, what's your take on that?
4: It's, no one talks about it. It's the, that's the thing of it. It's like you just don't know what to really do. We sort of spoke yeah. to our consultant afterwards and sort of, go through the stages of grief and everything but it took me until weeks after oxy to actually think about doing counseling and doing actually talking about it openly because i just wanted to put as much of that part of my life into a box and never ever open it again because it was just that's not me situation if i can Mm. box off and only think about it and it took it took weeks of counseling to be able to get anywhere to any semblance of normality again and so yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't I didn't I couldn't function. So the only thing I could do was go to counselling to sort of get through it all.
1: And was that a counselling did you seek that out yourself? Did you do that privately? Was that offered through the hospital? Was this that
4: was all privately. So it was just yeah. like it was like the hospital was fantastic. They were so good at like sort of their males got a lot of support afterwards and in regards from the hospital. And again, same thing was offered to me, but I sort of decided to go off and do my own thing and find the counselor that sort of helped with that sort of grief and specialise yeah. in that sort of piece to sort of talk about it and it took like I said took three sessions before I could actually of this tears before I yeah. could actually get to some form of talking about it on a level not a level playing field but like going for the whole session in a controlled way where I could actually talk about it and talk about it like I talk about now sort of thing without breaking down but it does feel just fake still mm. these yeah, situations
1: so There's a, a bit of a disassociation with mm. it yeah yeah John, uh, just wondering about you because yours is, you know, we've established yours happened more recently. You know, where are you at?
5: Yeah, we well, we we're following the hospital path. At the so we've we've had appointments with the bereavement midwife, and we've had, I think, three three or four se- it three or, I don't know three or four sessions since now. With another one booked, I think we get six altogether. And we want to see those through. Um, that being said. There's probably a colour worms you wouldn't have wanted to open because my experience of the care post birth has been, I think it's been shocking, uh, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, really poor. So we, you know, no contacts at all for a month and nothing at all, no no check of Kate to see if everything had gone to plan. And it turned out okay Kate was still bleeding. We ended up having to go to an appointment where it was in the ambulatory unit. And the consultant, first thing she says, she opens the file up and goes, right so how many weeks pregnant are you um oh, which which God. was well, I, I i yeah this this is where a lot of my anger ended up coming from actually this one appointment so and she was the most senior on the, on the unit um so that obviously riled me a bit and then we said well we're, we're no longer pregnant we've given birth we've had this hospital <laughs> <laughs> oh, six five weeks ago whatever it was and she said well what are you doing here then I said, well, we're here. Oh, I, honestly, I, it's getting me really angry thinking about it now. Anyway, it turned out there was still a bit of an sensor in there. So she had to have a procedure like the you know, removal of, I can't remember, what they call it, retained products or something. Um, and then since then, the, the bereavement appointments are just, it, it's honestly like a sketch. I mean, you, you go in for the appointment. So we've been in for this four times now. We have to go to the scan reception. So you've got, <laughs> you're just surrounded by, yeah. by pregnant people waiting for scans. And it's the scan room where, you know, where we found out things are not necessarily going as, as we'd hope um, and have sat there longer than we would want to be. Every single time, Kate gets fronted with the same questions. Can you do a urine Can you do a urine sample, please? We've had that every every appointment. Like, we don't need to do a urine sample. It's like, okay. oh, why not? It's like, well, we're not pregnant anymore. We're here with a bereavement the midwife. Then you go and sit and join all the other people who are, heavily pregnant around you then we go for our appointments which i hand on heart they are done in a birth room so you go you get taken into a room you've got the double bed the birth ball everything is there and that's where we have our our cancelling session to discuss everything and i've i've raised it with them i've complained about it i've raised it with them I, I appreciate you know things are stretched and they haven't necessarily got space but when i had originally Kicked off, for want of a better word, I was taken into a room to speak with somebody privately. It's like, why can't we just have these appointments in this room? It's an office that was just had yeah. no one in it. Why can't we have the appointments in here? Why do we have the appointments in a in a bathroom? So, so my experience is not particularly good. I think Kate and Pyne would probably echo it as well. know actually? What I'm saying, she probably would. She absolutely would because we yeah. it's to the point now we almost laugh about it. It's it's been that that point. But then saying that there has still been some good that's come from the appointments themselves and that we're talking about things that we wouldn't ordinarily think to talk about together um which has been good but it, it's just that every appointment starts with me having my back up to be honest, because like why are we here again i mean it just
2: sounds it sounds awful john i mean i think we all all feel for you and and i'm kind of almost embarrassed to be a member of the nhs and it's it's not the first time i've heard this you know when i've done other podcasts with women undergoing tfmr some of the thoughtlessness has just been staggering mm-hmm. and an inability i suppose of health professionals to try and put themselves in the shoes of somebody else going through what you're going through I mean, none, of, none of this is rocket science or requires vast amounts of funding it just requires people to try and think a bit more what it must feel like to be in your situation it just sounds i, I don't know whether the rest of you've had similar sort of challenging experiences um, yeah.
3: Yeah, we had um, when we had the procedure to stop Oscar's heart. Once we were pregnant with Iris, and we needed a CVS done to take some of you know of the placenta to see if she had the gene. You know, it, it was in the exact same room that we stopped Oscar's heart, and it was horribly traumatic for my wife because it's the one thing that hurts me the most is you know holding a hand through that procedure to stop. Oscar's heart was honestly the most devastating thing I've ever, I've ever witnessed. Um, and to be back there was scary, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and like, like John said, you're walking past all the, the pregnant women, all the spiraling babies on the wall. And when you're in that headspace, it's not, it's not helpful. Is it? Um, We, we, one thing I will, I will say, we went for one of our scans with a, a charity called Tommy's in Manchester. And theirs was like the other end of the spectrum like there was no pictures on the walls you were still sat with pregnant women but there was big sort of posters on the wall saying like please be patient for your appointment not everybody has good news and stuff like that mm. and that was quite signposted everywhere I don't know whether that's because the charity's based in the same building but that was like a really welcome change to the contrast of Leeds where you know, I I appreciate that specialist equipment might need to be in that room, but you know, we, we managed to go to Manchester, so we, we were always thinking, why couldn't we done it there? You know, so it's uh, yeah, mm. yeah.
1: I, there was something else that came up while you were talking, Ethan, and and I just wondered about how your experiences with like helplessness. So you know, watching your wife, girlfriend go through this, being in a same scan room, she's you know, being re-traumatized. You know, what's your sort of experiences around like yeah, the feelings of helplessness or the ideas around protection, you know, what your role is in that and what maybe you thought it was.
3: I think um, when when we were sat in the room waiting to, to stop Oscar's heart, I just felt this like like Lucy had to sign the papers to say, you know, yes, let's let's do this now. I just wanted to sort of rip the pen out of her hand. You know what I mean? It's like, what can't I do this? I know, I know it's her, it's her body, and you know she has to give that consent. But why can't I do one last thing for you? Or can I not help in any way? And you know, all the appointments as the man there. I, I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd rather it be focused on Lucy, but you are sort of a passenger, sat in a corner. You know, nobody speaks to you, nobody looks at you, and. I just wish I could have been involved in a in a sense and it's it sounds so sort of old fashioned um, but I just wanted to protect everything about her and you can't like when, once you've both made that decision it's um, you're right the helplessness is, is, is possibly possibly the worst part because you're going through it as well uh, but she's had the baby in her this whole time and it, it's a different thing like we got put back in that same room after his his heart was stopped and I remember Lucy just saying to me like I knew the minute he was gone and that's just, it's harrowing because even though I'm sharing the pain of the loss I can't share that specific pain and you're just at a loss, you want to help and there's no way you can Mm.
2: Uh, Alex, what was that stage like for you and your pregnancy?
0: Yeah, I think I think that was incredibly difficult. I mean, as as I mentioned, we'd, we'd spend quite a lot of times sort of ups and downs throughout the process, you know, and, and quite early on, I guess this was on the horizon that this might be the end. So it'd taken quite a long time, but getting to that final decision was really really difficult, and then actually being there. You know the procedure, just like Ethan was saying, you could just see it's just the the devastation that that act that we are asking to happen is about to happen happens, and yeah, it's 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 brutal, and it also, you know, the the baby's going to stay there for another forty eight hours. you're gonna go home yeah that was that was something else didn't you know you just don't know these things (laughs) unless you're in you know you you've been through it or you're the professional um and it's yeah it's really really bizarre
2: I, i was just gonna say i mean you said even the professional honestly i i think a lot of people working in this area obviously don't understand what it's like to go through it because of all the experiences, all the kind of negative experiences you've had. And it is a kind of sad reflection on healthcare training that, mm. that emphasis isn't put on this. And I often reflect on the fact that out of all these podcasts, and all these meetings I go to, it's like 99 percent women. I mean, men, male mm. doctors don't seem to want to really engage in this. They're
0: you know mm. speaking of of training actually through the charity arc, uh both Karen and I are going to be filmed with some questions of our experience through yeah through the whole journey really Mm. um, in order for that to be available to the likes of yourselves Nick and and everyone involved in in that world to learn because I mean how can they how can they know what it feels like
2: and, and that's why these, uh, these podcasts and the films that you're going to be engaged in are so important. I mean, one of the things that my trainees struggle with is, is being involved in these conversations because mm-hmm. you've got to be around at the right time and you've got to feel that having another person in the room doesn't change the dynamic. And if I'm interacting directly with you, it doesn't always help to have somebody else sat there on the side. And, you know, though Hayley is making these podcasts to sort of you know widen debate, I mean I I see these as a very important tool for training healthcare professionals. I mean how would obstetricians know what it feels like to be the male partner going through this type of uh, situation? And I, I even did some teaching with obstetricians. I, I hadn't really appreciated. them mean scan hundreds of women every day, they give them 15 minute slots. They they suddenly, as some of you explained, they're scanning you, you know, you describe the room goes quiet because they've mm-hmm. suddenly seen something. But they're not the medic. They're not really in the position to give that information. But you can see their face change. You can see mm-hmm. them concentrating on something that's so hard for oceanographers because that isn't really what they've been trained to do. Mm.
1: Yeah. It's um I mean, every time I do an episode like this, whatever topic within TFMR that we're talking about, I am reminded again and again of how massive it is, how many people are affected, how many people are involved. Um, yeah, it is it is huge. I mean, I guess, you know, we've recorded now where this is going to be about an hour or so long episode and we could just keep on going. I mean, there's just so much but we can't keep on going. And I thought maybe something to just sort of end on is, you know, what is your experience of here talking about this? Is this feeling helpful, supportive? Is this good? You know, why are you here talking about this? Sam, did you want to?
2: Feels
4: cathartic is the yeah. weirdest. That's about the best way I can think for it. It's just in preparation for this, I was going back through the notes I wrote about Oxy, about the process that went through and all that sort of stuff. And, reading it from me straight back to that place but talking today i've had moments of welling up but i've been able to sort of keep that in a calm way so i did not have to sort of start breaking down on the podcast but it's just i think being able to talk about it openly is really helping mm. and uh, even with after two three years now since it's happened it's never going to go to pain's never going to go away but at least i know i can talk about it and me and miles can talk about it we'll talk about it after the podcast and probably over the weekend because of the preparation for this That we'll probably dig that up and then talk about with aria as well make a passing comment about her older sister and how she's not here with us today and explain it to her And i think that sort of keeping her as part of our story is what we're trying to do as best we can
1: yeah yeah and you know john I saw you sort of nodding there a minute ago and you know, what's it like? And well, I guess also, what's it like sharing with other dads in, in a group?
5: It's good. I I, I did a similar not a podcast, but I, I joined a, like a SANS meeting with mm. other dads as well. And I found that equally helpful. I think the big thing for me is just trying to encourage more and more people to talk about this stuff. I think, I you know, all I would want from today is at least one of the dads, to feel they like, can talk about this sort of stuff. But, and I want to just normalize it a bit more. It's, I say it's frighteningly common. Frighteningly, frighteningly common how many people are going through some sort of pregnancy loss, baby loss. And it's all started coming out of the woodwork, you know, for me in the last like, four or five months, really, of just how many people go through these experiences. And I I had no idea, I had absolutely no idea. Um, so I would just want people to feel that they could talk about it because, yeah, I find it very helpful. Um, thanks to all of you for sharing your stories. And, you know, I'm sorry for all of you going through. And thanks to Hayley and Nick for co you know, and organising and, and sorting it so it's good but I, one thing I would like to see more of I think from a, a, a you know specifically it's probably the onus is probably on us in some respects but more of sort of male orientated support mm-hmm. through things like art. you know I got the the forum logins um, for art and went in sort of specifically looking for my thing it's about, about two posts I mean whereas you go into the I'm not exaggerating but you go into the women's side of it and there's there's loads yeah. and, and it's really interactive and I and I think that's that just completely demonstrates how poor we are you know, dads, you at sharing, really. Um, and as I, I'm, I'm saying there should be more of that. Have I done a post on there? No, I haven't. So, you know, I can't begrudge anybody for not doing it because I haven't done it myself, but it would be nice if there were more things and more forums where, where we can all share stuff for sure.
1: Yeah, maybe it is, you know, that we just have to start somewhere. And by you guys coming on and wanting to talk, you know, it's hopefully, it'll it'll invite others to, to talk. I mean, when I put the call out for this, you know, to do this episode, I was kind of going, oh, I don't know how many people are going to respond. Maybe nobody will respond. And actually, there was a huge response, much more than I was expecting. And so we're going to be doing, I think, two other recordings with dad. So I have hope that actually i think maybe men are feeling like they can they can if they want to they just maybe need the spaces where they feel comfortable what do you think alex
0: yeah i think i think that's right and you know maybe maybe that's the thing is being creative about different ways you know maybe a, an online forum isn't the quite right way maybe a different Go to a pub.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> but, that that yeah, works yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah.
0: But that yeah. might not work for everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and know Sands also does like a football team, don't they? For mm. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so I think there's, there is that. But also maybe also is timing as well. You know, I, I suppose if you need more time before you start doing those things, that you still get a, a, a way in. So yeah. even if it has been a, a long, long time, then there's there's still a, a way in, and you don't feel like it's got to have been three months ago, and that's the only time you need to
1: yeah.
0: uh, open up about it.
1: I think that's a really good point, actually, really good point that there isn't a sell-by date on this, mm. and and actually everybody's process is going to be quite different. And you know, Sam talked about it earlier about having you know just not able to talk about it for a while and needing some time to be able to get there, and so. Yeah, there really should be no sell by date on these things. Ethan, what would you like to?
3: Yeah, I think it's I share everybody's sentiment really. It's it's all about just you know it helps one person. I'd like for it to be, you know, talked about more, but just, just one person knowing it's it's all right to be open about this stuff, uh, and encourage it is it's just what you want. Like there's as many places you can get that message across is, is good because you know, no no one's ever going to be offended if you talk about the child, you know, it's like I said, it's just, this is a bit of spreading Oscar's memory, something extra, you know, as well as raising awareness, you know, he, he's getting to contribute to something in the world, you know, even though he's not here. It's 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 an honour for me to like, let him sort of have that opportunity as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Nick, any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, I've, I've
1: found it
2: quite inspiring I mean I I don't want to be cringy about it all but um (laughs) uh you know thanks very much for speaking about it but my my mind is continually going to how we can make this better you know my role isn't out there in the community my role's there in in hospital settings and I've heard so many times the, the experiences you describe about how small things can really make a big difference. You know, you, you talk about, you know, the, the reception area you go to, the rooms that you're seeing in, the approach to staff. I mean, none of this is rocket science. None of this is gonna cost the NHS millions. This is just about trying to get healthcare professionals to realize that subtle changes in the way that they speak to people, particularly greeting fathers can make a big difference here. So I'm already think I'm gonna to listen to this podcast episode myself and make a few notes and then work out what we can do to try and make it a bit better from our point of view.
1: Brilliant. Great. (laughs) Um, Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Nick, for helping out and being here. It's been been really, um, really good to have you here with us. Um, And of course, a special thank you to Sam, Alex, John and Ethan. Yeah, really appreciate you guys coming and sharing and being so open about everything great thank
3: you thank you thank you, yes, thank you very much thanks lady
1: thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed it we had a big response to the call out for this episode and we will be recording more episodes just with dads so keep a lookout for these they're coming soon the best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe you can find us on most podcasting platforms also we love hearing from you so get in touch find us over on social media facebook and instagram at time to talk tfmr and Twitter at talktfmr. That's all for this time. Thank you and please take gentle care of yourselves.